Welcome to Fun and Fundraising, everybody, the podcast where we talk with people behind the top nonprofit galas and signature fundraisers to showcase how they positively transform their communities. I am your host, Rob Giardinelli, and today I am so excited to have Lance Avery Morgan on as a guest. Lance Avery Morgan is what I like to call the god human of all things Texas galas. He has been doing this for about 20 years and is currently the editor-in-chief of Curated Texan, which chronicles and highlights the affluent Texan. Lance, thank you so much for joining us today, and I'm so excited that you're here. Hey, Rob. Glad to be here. Congratulations on your fun and fundraising podcast so far. I've been listening in, and you've had a lot of fun guests. I really appreciate it, and I'm glad to hear that. And you know, it's been quite the spring. Um, you and I have both attended quite a few galas this spring, and it's been really interesting to see how everything is just going full throttle right now. It sure is. You know, and it, it's just fun to see that there are so many good causes and people are really wanting to get out there and are really, really, really wanting to give. Mm -hmm. They sure are. Well, we have the great good fortune to live in Texas, which is I think it's pretty much the most philanthropic state in the country, in the U.S. And so when you have that sort of largesse, you know, things are bound to happen. Absolutely. And, you know, it's no one does. No one throws a party quite like a Texan does. And, you know, while we're on that subject, you know, talk a little bit about some things that you have seen, you know, and what we're going to do today, everybody, is we're going to talk about some of our favorite gala moments from the first half of 2023. So there have been a lot of really good, interesting things happening, and I thought it would be a good opportunity for us to talk and share about some of the trends that we are seeing, um, some of the trends that Lance is seeing, and some of the things you know that we're looking forward to in the second half of 2023 as we wind up the first half of 2023. Absolutely. So, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Lance. Well, absolutely. And it's very exciting to take a look back at <laughs> what seems years ago and what seems like it was five minutes ago with this spring. I think it's really interesting in that post-pandemic, there was sort of an atrophy of social skills. People just weren't used to being around others in a social, social situation, much less it being a black tie affair. So I think one of the big trends was that not everything has to be black tie if it's a gala. We saw that at a Mac, Mac, Mike excuse me, Matt McConaughey's Mac, Jack, and Mac Gala. Now, isn't that a mouthful? It is a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> and it's, you know, it showed that a gala can be very, not only black tie, but it can be multifaceted. So there was a two-night event, a golf tournament, and a fashion show event that raised a lot of money for a great cause. Yeah, and what's, I think, you know, that, you know, to me, I think the, the my biggest takeaway is, is that fundraising is, big in lots of cities in Texas. But I think what is what was really interesting to see this spring in particular is how, you know, the city we live in, Austin, really stepping up its game and really putting on a whole host of events that rival things in top tier cities. Because I don't think people realize that, you know, Dallas and Houston are, you know, they're number four and number five in terms of city population. And both of them are top 10 media markets. And it goes to show that even mid-sized markets can really step up their game and really rival stuff and things that are going on in, you know, in the major, you know, markets that have seven, eight million people plus in them. 
Absolutely. Well, every city, certainly every Texas city has its own personality and each city is defined by its galas and how they look and feel. And each city has a completely different vibe. So um, it's really fascinating to see that when you, you know, we're lucky to be based here in Austin, which I call the Switzerland of Texas. We are in the middle, we're neutral and everyone loves us, which is a great thing. Dallas and Houston uh, have such different personalities and those galas really signify, excuse me, the personalities of those uh, of those markets for sure. You know, and I definitely want to dive into that, you know, a little bit, but I, you know, I definitely kind of want to focus a little bit more on some of the trends that we've, you know, some of the trends that we've seen this year. And to go back with what I was just talking about in regards to um, Austin and in regards to stuff that I'm even seeing in some of the other cities is it's always wonderful when you walk into something and you see people who reside in other cities attending that event. And I think with Mac Jack and McConaughey in particular, mm -hmm. that was really something where it was like, you know, there's, you know, Austin has its share of statewide events. You know, there is the Texas Medal of Arts Awards, which was also this spring that we'll talk about the Bullock Museum Gala for the Texas Independence Day dinner, which we'll talk about and the Blanton Museum celebrated its 60th anniversary, and that was also beyond that. And I think what was interesting with Mac, Jack, and McConaughey, and, you know, I got to know the organization on a little bit deeper level, you know, having done a couple of podcasts with people tied to it, and that is, is that it, it attracted an audience beyond a single market, but it also made me kind of dive into, you know, the way that they're structured is, is that they have five causes that they give equal amounts of funds to. And a couple of them are based in the Austin market, two of the five are, and then the other three are broadly based, meaning that they, you know, they're not necessarily a local community based thing. They're either foundations or they are trying to cure a specific um a specific disease. Um, so it, it was interesting to kind of see that how the local and the non-local all fuse together. In events, and I think that's why you know it became the number one fundraising gala in the state. Is you had people from multiple different places that came in, and it wasn't. Yes, there were people that were notable and were celebrities, but there were a lot of philanthropists that were in from other markets, and that was the part for me that was really interesting to see. It wasn't just about getting a headline name; it was getting people who give a lot in different communities coming into another city and being willing to open their hearts and wallets and give in another city. And that part's been just really interesting to see. Absolutely. And I think also with uh, McConaughey's gala, you have three beloved Texas entities that have joined together for the betterment of one cause. So you have Mac Brown, you have Jack Ingram, and, and then you have Matt McConaughey. You know, they're very beloved. I mean, Jack Ingram has a huge following in the country music world. Mac Brown has a huge following in the University of Texas and beyond football world. And then, of course, McConaughey is a leading, you know, Hollywood star. So when you look at power in numbers, that definitely signifies what that's all about at, at a high level. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm glad you touched about, you know, how those three folks lend their names, but it's really important for people to understand that just because a 
you know, a person of stature or a celebrity has their name put on something, that doesn't mean that the event is guaranteed to be a success. There are plenty of things that, you know, have celebrities that they either headline them or tied to them that raise five figures. And those five figures, you know, if it raises $50,000, it can go and it can do a lot of good. But just because Matthew McConaughey shows up does not mean mm-hmm. it, it's going to be a seven or in, in that case, an eight figure affair. It's it is something that those particular people, all three of them, Mac, Jack and um, Matthew, all put their really their blood, sweat and tears into it all year right. long right. to really reap and benefit those mm-hmm. rewards. It's not. Yeah. You know, there is a saying that 90% of life is showing up. And I know, you know, Lance, you and I have had that conversation many times in life. But that other 10% does make a big difference in terms of something being good to something really being Mm -hmm. something you're never going to forget. True. Very, all very true. Now, you know, while we're on, you know, you know, we've talked about that a little bit, you know, I want to talk about maybe some other some trends that, you know, we've seen this year. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one, I I think that has been interesting to see is that they're still silent auctions, but Mm -hmm. they're nowhere near as prevalent as they seem to be five years ago, before the pandemic and before, you know, people locked down and all that. Yeah, I think with silent auctions, either an organization is all in or they don't do it at all. And I think that's actually good advice for people is either really do it to where it will make a difference from a profitability standpoint and or don't do it at all. Now, for instance, the Houston Children's Museum does a huge silent auction. And I'm always dazzled when I walk into that to see a couple of hundred silent auction items. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of talent that goes into that. And does it raise much needed funds for the organization? You bet it does because it's worked for them before. As a trend, though, I think you're seeing really not as as many item auctions uh, moving forward, and I think that you're you're seeing the elimination of silent auctions because it takes up space. Um, usually, the many times the kind of money it earns isn't worth all the work that goes into it. So, I mean, there's different ways to to, to see how that can work for each organization, and, and obviously, it's it's based on do you have a really robust silent auction share and silent auction team to procure those items or not. And if you don't, it's probably not worth doing it. You know, that's a really good point. And I think the other point is, is that people, people, especially when they're tied to a nonprofit, you know, the thing is with the really good silent auctions I've seen, and when I've talked to people kind of offline about them, they don't necessarily take and accept every single auction item that comes in. Mm-hmm. One, you want to make sure that the auction item sells because, you know, yes, you can go ahead as a nonprofit right. and you can you can take that auction item. But if no one bids on it, it right. really does a disservice to both of you. Whereas, you know, you know, someone if someone has a really long memory, I guess they might might have sour grapes over it and never give to an organization again. But, you know, I think so long as you are transparent and just saying, you know, we've got a lot of auction items that we have found that, you know, in order for us to really get a maximum return, we really have to curate what we're doing and we have to, you know, put put together the right auction items to make sure that they're going to be bid on. And, you know, right now we're at our limit in terms of the amount of, you know, silent auction items that we can have. There is a way to go and say that so that you're telling the organization, you know, I'm grateful that you want to support. 
and you know, you wanted to do, you know, a silent auction item, how would you feel about donating in a different way? Mm -hmm. Maybe they volunteer, maybe if they lead a workshop, maybe they give cash. There, there can be other ways to do that. Either that or the grouping of silent auction items to where they make the most sense. So if you have a wine weekend getaway, which is exciting and, and an awesome silent auction item, then you can also do, you can pair that with bottles of wine. You can do it with a really fun wine picnic basket that's supplied or a Yeti or or something like that. So another way around that is to group them so that they will definitely get the attention that they you know deserve at the silent auction tables and also be bid on it and have people really want to be a part of it. You know, and I'm glad you bring that up because that that actually, when you said that, it made me think of the Children's Museum of Houston that you had talked about before, because mm -hmm. that's exactly yeah. what they do. And these yeah. packages are really just these robust, wonderful packages that it's like, how could you not bid on that? Or how could somebody walking through not bid on it? And, yeah. you know, it's with silent auctions. And again, coming out of COVID, I think, you know, you said something earlier, but I think really applies that people are rusty. Mm -hmm. And I have long said that if you have a good silent auction person on your committee or a silent auction chair, you need to latch onto them like a life jacket and make sure that they never take it off. And those are people that you wanna be involved with your fundraiser forever because anyone mm -hmm. who can handle a silent auction is a superstar right out true. of the gate, full Very stop. True. And I'll, yeah. I've seen more than my share of silent auction chairs evolve into gala chairs just because of how hard a yeah. silent auction chair works. And I think coming out of COVID, people are still getting their sea legs a little bit. And I think that might be one of the reasons it's, it's a lot of work to put that together. It's a lot of work. And you're right, is a gateway to chairing an event at a high level, because if you can handle auctions and run around town to and, and have those relationships and create those relationships and for, further define those relationships that it takes to get those really great silent auction items. And that is a great set of traits for a gala chair, big time. Well, and that's also, you know, it, it's a really good point that you bring up with that about, you know, engagement and really silent auction items. They tend to be, you know, as a general rule, they tend to be lower dollar amount. Yes. So for a lot of organizations that are involved with a nonprofit, it's almost like their gateway or just their their way of dabbling their toe in the water to see if it's an organization that they want to support more broadly. Yeah. So if you do a silent auction, you know, my one piece of advice that I would give to somebody asking is, you know, is the people that you're wanting to engage with, make sure that you're starting slow or starting with a lower dollar amount with people you want to give more over time that you know could really be strategic partners down the road. Mm -hmm. And don't just try to grab any old auction, silent auction item for the sake of grabbing any old auction item. That's a good point. You know, Rob, another trend I've seen is that there aren't as many goodie bags that are being handed out as there used to be, which I think is not necessarily a bad thing, unless it's a profit center for these organizations to have those goodie bag insert participants pay a real fee plus provide product. But I think you're really getting away from that. Um, it's certainly post pandemic. And I'm not sure that's a bad thing because of some goodie bags that just don't have, you know, the quality of, of things in it. No one needs another uh, nail salon, um, coupon, no one needs another koozie, things like that that just kind of add up. It's like, oh gosh, well, missed opportunity. 
So that's a good, you know, that's a really good point. You know, can you elaborate a little bit on, you know, examples of in the past, and it doesn't have to be this year, but an example of, you know, what a good goodie bag entails? Yeah, well, in the past, what we what I have done with my media properties is that we have dialed in our uh, advertisers as an added value to goodie bags. So it would be, you know, Paul Mitchell shampoo, Patron tequila. It would be, you know, really neat. Maybe it's a, a bracelet from a local jeweler. So things like that um, really make a difference. And I think that because of we as a culture have gotten so spoiled with seeing what's in the, you know, Emmy uh goodie bags and the Oscar goodie bags and the things like that. It's just so over the top. No one can really compare to that unless it's maybe Crystal Charity Ball in Dallas. They have a very, very robust goodie bag. Okay. And that's good to know that it's one of those things that, you know, and again, with anything that you do with a gala, you know, there's financial capital and there's human capital and people have to put together those goodie bags. And if you've only got, if you've got a nice canvas bag, that's fine. But if you put in, you know, four or five, and I've gotten goodie bags in the past where it's like literally it's five pieces of paper and maybe something. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it literally weighs less than two pounds when I walk yeah. out with it that right. I would almost rather just have just roll up the goodie bag and give me the goodie bag with your, or, you know, the name of your organization, because I'm going to yeah. look at the bag and be like, this is really nice. I can use this when I go shopping or I can use this when I go, you know, to the store. Or I can use this when I go swimming or whatever sure. it is. You Absolutely. can use that and, and you're you're showing its singular purpose. So, you know, I don't think necessarily, I think giving a goodie bag is okay insofar that, you know, if it's about branding and marketing for that organization, and if it's a good quality bag, yeah. you may keep and use that. And it, you're kind of a walking billboard whenever you're in a store mm -hmm. for that particular organization, especially sure. if it's good quality. So, That's you know, I point. think it's important that people keep that in mind. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, um, one other thing, you know, and we can kind of, you know, we're going to kind of go back to what we were talking about a few moments ago, and we're going to go back to auctions, but we're going to okay. go back to a different type of auction. Okay. And that is a live auction. Mm -hmm. So give me and share your thoughts on live auctions. Well, live auctions, as we know, are very, very crucial to organizations in raising much needed funds. And some organizations have a live auction that is really robust, really fun, really dynamic, and raises a lot of money. Others do not. So the question is, if your whole gala is a live auction from the minute you begin the salad course until dessert, you're probably, it's it's for me personally, it's a real challenge because there are too many items at that point. There are, the item prices are set too low perhaps. It just makes for a an evening that is not as fun and festive and reflective of a dynamic organization as it could be. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the thing with, you know, with live auctions is and, you know, it's it's a thing that, you know, and we'll dive. We'll talk about, you know, the cities a little a little bit more in a minute. But, you know, with a live auction, in most instances, it's during a seated meal mm -hmm. and. Yes, you need to talk about the program. Yes, you need to raise funds, but you also need to give the time and the space for guests yeah. to mingle and talk with somebody next to them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've sat at things before where because it's a live auction program, outside of saying, hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. 
I don't say another word to them because the auction is going on the whole time or there's nonstop programs. There yeah. has to be a balance and a mixing. Yes, the fundraising is important, but this podcast is called Fun and Fundraising. You've got to allow people to have some fun too. And mm -hmm. the thing is, yes, those funds are important. At the same time, maybe at a good gala, 10% of the guests there are actually bidding on those auction items. So it leaves yeah. the other 90% there right. twiddling their thumbs and either bored or in their phone and just kind of out of the space. Um, you know, I, I'll admit I've been guilty of this during a live auction. If it goes on too long, I'll get up and I'll start mingling around mm -hmm. because, you know, there's, you know, I may have seen somebody from across the way, but I didn't get to talk to during the cocktail hour. I'm going to go talk to them now or go sure. find them and talk to them now. So, yeah. you know, I, I think it's important to, um, you know, keep those things in, you know, in mind. What do you think about that, Lance? I agree completely. And kudos to you for being, as you had mentioned before, so respectful of actually being quiet and letting the people around you pay attention to the actual live auction at hand. You know, as far as trends go, I think the paddles up is becoming more prevalent the, as part of the auction process. And that is where people can donate anywhere from the top level amount. And that could be a hundred thousand, could be 25,000, could be 5,000 uh, on down. And I think that's a great way for people to donate too. One thing I will say is that when there are not people confirmed to bid at the highest level and they don't are not on board to start the bidding makes it a little bit tougher. So if you have someone who is committed to giving $100,000, which is fantastic and phenomenal and very, very worthy, if that person isn't in place, that it sure does make it a challenge moving forward. It kind of sets the tone for the live auction. So, and the, excuse me, the paddle's up. So, you know, there's so many different ways to successfully do that, if you will. So if I'm hearing you correctly, what you're basically saying is, is that if if you don't have anyone confirmed at that top level, don't do that top level. Yeah. Because exactly. really what it's being is it's a momentum killer yeah. and you want to be able to build momentum. And, and uh -huh. here's the deal. If you don't have anyone at $100,000, but you've already got two people confirmed at 50, yeah. one, start there. Yep. Two, it saves time. Right. And three, it's... Someone was maybe going to give $25,000. They will see multiple people doing that. They may, if they're having a really good time, they may up, they may up that raise yep. to $50,000 and you build more momentum that way. And, you know, and, and it's really tempting. And I see, you know, it, it's the shiny object syndrome that you've got, you know, you've got this really high dollar amount and how dazzling would it be? to have that and you know it brings all this oxygen into the room yeah. but there has to be you know the oxygen has to be on in the room in mm -hmm. order for the oxygen to you know really just explode so True. if there's not someone in there in that position to give that amount yeah. you know it's better to refrain and just try to get more of because Again, if you were only going to get a, one $100,000 donor and two $50,000 donors, but you got four $50,000 donors, you basically raise the same amount of money and you've got so much more momentum going into the rest of the auction. You bet. And also, as far as Paddles Up goes and any sort of auction um, price point, I think it's probably better to stay away from anything that's less than a thousand or five hundred dollars i've seen the paddles up go down to 
250 or even less. And it, you know, it just gets real laborious to, um, to, to support that from a timing standpoint at a gala. Absolutely. And that's one of those places where you can actually utilize technology that's out there now because everyone's mm -hmm. got a QR code. Yep. You know, when you get below a thousand dollars, you know, you've got to think, you know, look at the previous year's total. If you're an existing gala, look at the previous year's total. If you got, let's say in the $500 level and below, you only got $6,000 or $7,000. What you may want to say below $1,000 is scan your QR code and donate what you feel comfortable raising. Because what I think some people don't realize is people with those small of dollar amounts, if people were giving five, 10, 25, 50 mm -hmm. or thousand dollars or more, yeah. they may not necessarily feel fully secure or might frankly even be a little bit embarrassed mm -hmm. to donate a small dollar amount, you know, because sure. people, you know, they're seeing all this and they're like, well, what will my hundred dollars do? But if you give people the option yeah. to do it and just say, donate what you feel is great, you may get a bunch of $750 donations. Mm -hmm. You may Good get point. some $400 donations. You may get $25 donations, but you get them all. And I, I know I would challenge any organization that's done, you know, done a paddles up before. Look at all the amount that was raised that was below $1,000 and maybe do an A-B test the next year. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and do a, you know, what do you feel comfortable giving? And you may be surprised because if it's one of those amounts where you're raising four figures, if you're raising less than $10,000, but your gala raises half a million dollars, yeah, that's 1% of the fundraising total. Go ahead and, you know, it's okay to try new and innovative things. And yeah. the interesting thing, you know, coming out of COVID was, you know, the the one, the one thing ironically that will never, will never go back again is most live auctions now are online in some way, shape or form in advance of the event so that people can see them and they can preview them. Most mm -hmm. other things from COVID have kind of gone away as you know an event practice. Mm -hmm. That's the one that stuck around. So yeah. using technology to your benefit with any of those things, including Paddles Up, um, is, you know, is really good. And I want to give a shout out to one organization who I thought it did an excellent Paddles Up this spring. And that was um, the Blanton Museum 60th anniversary gal. I know you were mm -hmm. there, Lance. Do you want to sure talk was. a little bit about that one? That was great. That was probably one of the most dynamic and easy breezy auctions I've seen in a long time. It was short. It was sweet. It was succinct. And they met their goals within that short amount of time. Yeah. I mean, it was maybe a 10 to 15 minute mm -hmm. auction. And it, you know, it was enough that people had their rapt attention around it because really after 10 yeah. or 15 minutes, yeah. it's hard to keep a room of three, four, 500, some cases a thousand plus people. Yeah. It's hard to keep all those people engaged. And the mm -hmm. fact that they were able to raise their goal in 10 or 15 minutes, and they were also even innovative with how they did it. So for anyone um, who has not gone to the, and Simone, which was a um, guest on this podcast earlier this season, they have this beyond gorgeous new pedal installation at outside of the Blanton Museum. It is, mm -hmm. it, if you are looking for an Instagrammable moment, go there and shoot it because of the way the petals are white, the way the sun refracts off of it. It's almost like, you know, if you're, you know, have anything to do with photography, it's almost like having a giant boom light above your head because the lighting mm -hmm. is 
it, it's just, it's so good. So what they did yeah. was they did a petals up and calling it that instead of paddles up. Mm -hmm. So it allowed people to raise the paddles that were in the shape of petals as an homage to the event. So they were just extremely thoughtful the entire way through on how they, you know, they, they provided something that gave them a reminder of why they were physically there, which was to celebrate the 60th anniversary and the unveiling of the new pedal installation. And it was mm -hmm. just thoughtful all the way through from start to finish. And I completely agree. It was one of the best, you know, pedals, paddles, pedals, paddles up auctions that I've you know been to probably ever. It was really fantastic. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Absolutely. So, you know, the one other thing, you know, that we wanted to talk about, um, Lance, in terms of, you know, some stuff for, you know, that we were seeing for 2023 is um, a little bit about um, the cities. So let's talk a little bit about how different cities have different personalities. You touched upon that at the beginning of the episode. Would you care to elaborate a little bit more on what you meant by that? Well, yeah, absolutely. And again, we are so fortunate to be living in Texas where the largesse of Texas and Texans is so strong. In fact, it's the only state where the fundraising level is at a high level as it is. And, you know, someone recently shared with me that a newcomer asked her, you know, so what do you all do here in Texas? And she said, you know what, we give. We all give and it's important for us to give. So I believe that that, that really encapsulates the ethos of the entire state. Now, each city has its own very, very different dynamics of galas. Um, Dallas is very celebrity heavy, celebrity oriented. They'll always have in a celebrity to be a part of um, whatever gala is happening, luncheon speaker, guest of a chair for an evening gala. Houston is really interesting in that its heart is as big as its square footage in its, <laughs> in its city. It really is. It's such a really dynamic dynamic welcoming city there's room for everyone and there's not enough people that can fill a ballroom there which is really great austin is the same austin is um uh is very very much of a can-do team-oriented gala city and san antonio also has its own unique dynamics as a gala city Absolutely. You know, and I think that is a good spot to pause here. So okay. what we're going to do, if you're okay with it, Lance, is we're going to actually do this as a two-part episode and we're going to oh, actually air the second oh, wow. half next sure. week. How okay. do you feel about that? I feel great. Thanks so much. I can't believe so much time has already gone by. It seems like we were just getting started. I know it does. So this is um, Rob Giardinelli signing off on part one of my special conversation of our favorite gala moments from the first half of 2023 with Lance Avery Morgan. And I'm signing off on fun and fundraising, reminding you to keep it fun, keep it interesting, and your guests will have a great time. Have a great day, everyone. And we'll continue this conversation in the next episode. Stay Take tuned. care. <laughs>